Hey, if you're in the autonomous vehicle or mobility space, don't forget we've just recently launched our new AV and mobility strategy consulting firm, Hogan Co. We've got partners in Amsterdam, Paris, and right here in San Francisco, as well as associates around the world, including Boston and Philadelphia. All of our members are either PhDs, attorneys, engineers, or startup founders with extensive experience in the autonomous vehicle and mobility space. If you have any questions or you'd like to chat further, please check out our new website at hogandco.com or visit us on all social media at hogandco. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O. Hello and welcome. It's Friday, the 20th of December, 2019. Hopefully you are on your way to recovering from last night's Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker premiere. I know I am. Um, don't worry, no spoilers, I promise. Um, so, so I wanted to do things a little differently today because it is Episode 131. It's our Season Four finale. And sorry for missing Tuesday's episode, by the way. So, the idea that I had had for today's episode was to do a joint conversation with my two founding partners over at Hogan Co., Felix Dochmeyer and Martin Adler. So the bad news is that's not happening today. The good news is it's effectively been deferred to the second or third week of January when we kick off the season five premiere episode. Um, now today, though, it's going to be something a bit different then because it occurred to me as we close out 2019, we prepare to welcome in a pretty big deal, not just 2020, but indeed the 20s all over again. And thinking back 100 years, uh, the 20s well, of the 1920s, were a really big deal socially, politically, economically, technologically, culturally, in every sense of the word, really, they were a really big deal. And, well, I don't think it's any coincidence that now here we are 100 years later, and as we prepare to kick off and welcome in 2020, we are really welcoming in the 20s for the 21st century. And I think this isn't just a neat bit of historical symmetry. It's a very important time indeed. And I think what we're going to see is that 2020 will really prove to be, in retrospect, having been the foundation for really the beginning of the truly epic phase shift in society that we've often talked about. And indeed, that I've always pitched this podcast as being about, namely the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. And we're going to sort of discuss a bit today why I think that's so and why 2020 will really be such a big deal. And to do that, we're going to reference back an article that I wrote way back on the 5th of January of 2017, so roughly a year before I kicked off this podcast. And you can Google it. The title is, This is the End Game for Autonomous Cars. I'm going to use that as a bit of framework for today's discussion. I think it's a really good way to kind of close out 2019 and, as I say, welcome in the 20s. But before we get started, don't forget to follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. Leave me five stars on Apple Podcasts and uh, preferably a written review, if you please. Um, And if you're an OEM, Tier 1 supplier, automotive company, hardware, software, autonomous vehicle, mobility company, construction company, uh, don't forget to check out our new website over at hogandco.com. And of course, you can follow us on all social media at Hogan Co. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O. All right, well, thanks very much. Let's dive in and get started. The season four finale begins now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, they called it the Roaring Twenties, and so I'm going to call this the Screaming Twenties. Um, okay, so it's not the most original comparison, but I think it's an apt one because in as much as the 20s change society in so many ways, uh, I really do believe that we're going to see even more of a change in the coming decade. So let me begin, and by the way, for better or worse, this is going to be a rather different episode, really just sort of a stream of consciousness kind of discussion uh, with myself. <laughs> um so, but, but like I said, I want to use this article that I wrote as, as a bit of a framework, right? And so, so if you're looking at the article, um, you know, I begin by reminding everybody of the, you know, the, the ridiculous tragedy of human-driven cars in the world generally, and that, you know, and I, and I, I kind of segue straight to the main point that much of the discussion, the conversation, the, the written literature out there has always talked about where things are today and kind of the transition phase, but but we, we kind of lose sight of where things are headed. And I think as with any great project, with any great endeavor, it's really important to have an eye, and frankly, even both eyes, on the end game. What is the goal? Let's look to, of course, President Kennedy's epic moon speech, right? Uh, I mean, just imagining what that speech must have been like to hear it at the time it occurred must have been absolutely goosebump inducingly astonishing like but this was the goal that that he had set americans minds and really their hearts to visualize and this was i think hugely hugely important for making that goal become reality and so it is here i think we've got this this really important task ahead as a society, not just here in America, but indeed all cultures, all countries around the world, we have this tremendously important goal um, pushing towards a greener, more energy efficient future because of course we must and anybody who questions this or denies it, I'm sorry, but you're an idiot. Just stop doing it. Okay, you're done. Um, and this goal segues perfectly into this autonomous future and indeed vice versa because again an autonomous future is an electric future and an electric future is an autonomous future and we're, we're going to be really pursuing these these joint goals of an autonomous and electric vehicle future along with a cleaner green energy future because this is just the way things need to be and that's the end of it and so yeah i think i think this is really going to prove to be the decade that really sets in motion this transition for the the future of humanity. So so I, I, I begin by talking about the notion that the end game for autonomous cars, where things are headed, isn't hundreds of years away. No, it's actually going to be reached sometime around the turn of the 22nd century. Now, okay, that sounds like a long ways away. Okay, that's 80 years from now. And indeed, the transition will be well on its way, as I say, beginning as we close out this decade and indeed the subsequent decades. And yeah, by the 2030s and certainly 2040s, autonomous vehicles will be a thing. This is a fact. 
But the important thing to keep our eyes on is really the time frame during which this will all occur. Yes, I know. Everybody likes to say and to criticize all the various companies who have been promising and testing and failing at various de- you know, stages of automotive autonomy and deployment. And of course, everybody loves to pick on Elon and Tesla and say, oh, they're such horrible, terrible people and what an awful company and how people are dying and how they're so useless. Look, I just want to make a really important point here that frankly, nobody says it's pretty fatiguing to constantly read in the press and to listen to naysayers, whether they're basically criticizing or faulting Elon or Tesla or really any other company. Look, it's very easy to criticize and to disprove and to argue against a thing. It's very easy to say, nope, vaccinations are harmful and they killed and kids and they cause autism. It's very easy to simply just say, oh, look, the earth is flat. It's very easy to say evolution is not a thing. It's very easy to say climate change is not a thing. You know what's difficult? It's to prove those things. What's difficult is to validate those things. And what's difficult is to exercise the scientific method. The whole reason why the scientific method works is not because you've got a bunch of scientists trying to prove one another, but quite the contrary, you're trying to disprove one another. The whole reason why the scientific method works is that you're testing, you're experimenting hypotheses in an effort to invalidate them. And if they end up being validated, then, well, it seems to work, but we don't know. So we're gonna have a bunch of other scientists test an experiment on the same set of uh, on the same hypotheses running the exact same experiment and if everybody can validate the same thing over and over again all over the world independently then you know what it probably is correct so bearing that all in mind um and getting back on track here let's look at what 2020 is going to bring for us right so what it's going to bring is a tremendous amount of forward progress and when i say forward progress Here's the thing. Companies which aren't prepared to make the phase shift from uh, conventional gasoline engines to electric, from human-driven cars to autonomous cars, um, they will be dead or dying. Now, that transition's not going to occur immediately in 2020, but the foundations will be laid. And when I say foundations, I mean the successful ones or the failed ones. So, no, I, I don't think we're going to see... Well, just, I don't know, just thinking about it now, I I can't imagine, I can't think of any companies that are necessarily going to just go belly up by the end of 2020, but I do think that there's going to be a few companies that could start sinking in 2020 and could be gone in the subsequent years if they don't start to do things right. Now, when I say do things right, let's look at GM, right? So, So one of the amazing things that GM just announced, you may have caught it a few days ago, Cadillac, Uh, So Cadillac is, of course, the luxury branch of GM. Apparently, by 2030, 100% of Cadillac vehicles will be battery electric. So not hybrid, not hydrogen, but full battery electric. This is amazing. And... Um, and again, I talk about electric in the same breath with which I talk about autonomous because they do, they necessarily will go hand in hand. So, so let's just, just accept that. Um, the reason why this is a big deal is as follows. I've had a lot of people say to me over the years, Hey, you know, what do you think about the Chevy Volt? What do you think about the Chevy Bolt? And more recently, of course, oh, see the, the Volt sucked. GM pulled the plug on the Volt. No pun intended. Um, no, I actually disagree quite strongly. The the Volt did not suck. The Volt was actually quite a good little car, albeit an interim technology car. Look, let's not forget, the Volt's production, its design, 
started, if I'm not mistaken, way back in the early 2000s. I want to say around 2003. I think actually I saw my first advertisement for a Chevy Volt. Yeah, it would have been around 2003, 2004 in some magazine. Chevy was sort of uh, marketing that they have an eye towards the future. And they showed the Volt sitting there alongside two other cars. I don't remember now what they were. And just showing where Chevy was looking. And so then this Chevy Volt was was sold to the public, and it did just fine. And then it was discontinued. And then, look, the Bolt was released. And I love the Bolt. I've always said that I think the Bolt actually is a brilliant little car, and it's held back only by the fact that GM didn't have the sense of mind to deploy a proper supercharging station all around the world just the way that Tesla have done. And I don't think that Tesla would have sold anywhere near as well as it has but for the charging infrastructure. I think that's a really critical, critical component. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. But in any event, so the Volt came and it went and then we've got the bolt now and who knows how long it's going to be around for but the point is it laid the foundation it enabled gm to learn how to build electric cars and so now what we're going to see is they're going to really realize this electric future with the cadillac branch of gm and so yeah by 2030 100 percent of their vehicles will be battery electric I mean, what a big deal. What a big announcement. We've certainly seen similar such announcements from Volkswagen. Um, really, Toyota is the only obvious company which is stubbornly holding out. And yes, Toyota, you are being absolutely ridiculous and stupid. And if you're listening, just stop this nonsense immediately. Um, so, so yeah, this, this is really huge, actually. And, and it makes sense to start with Cadillac, by the way, right? Because Cadillac obviously are... Again, being the luxury division of GM, it makes sense to start there. You can charge higher price points because, of course, electric will still continue to be a bit expensive. Yes, I know the Model 3 can be had for 35 k but realistically, that doesn't actually ever happen. Effectively, they're always ending up getting priced out around 50 or 60 grand once all said and done. Because, yeah, the vast majority of purchasers do get autopilot um, and the longer range options. But in any event... So, so that's the issue with the, the, the cars themselves from an electrification standpoint... Um, but then you look at the, the mobility standpoint generally, right? So we're, we're back to this big question of how are cities going to start to, to, to ready themselves for, for autonomous cars and indeed for electric cars. And it's a big question. It's a real chicken and egg dilemma, right? Because if you look at something like parking lots, right? So, so you look at parking lots and, you know, the question becomes, you, you've got this big sort of block of a building, this big empty space just to store a bunch of cars. Well, how are these things going to evolve in a future of automation? Well, I don't know. There's a few things you can think about, right? So there's the issue of how many charge points to install, how many parking slots to install. Then there's the idea that once you've got at least level four cars, these things will be able to park themselves. That then means that you're not going to need a lot of space in between the parking, uh, parking spots. Effectively, then these buildings, these parking structures will be basically stationary row-row boats. Row-row stands for roll-on, roll-off. These are the big uh, cargo boats that ship vehicles. But 
crucially, not vehicles in containers, mind you, but you just drive the car into the boat. They're parked very densely close together, and then you drive the car off the boat. Um, These are effectively floating mobile parking structures, Um, except that they're more efficient because, again, the cars are stacked very closely together. Well, eventually, that's what's going to have to happen with parking lots. You're going to have parking lots where the cars can be much, much closer together. And of course, this then is possible because the cars will park themselves. We've seen examples of this with Tesla's summon, uh, or enhanced summon, rather. So since you can park the car autonomously, you don't need to leave room for the doors to open and close, as it were. So so anyway, so this is, uh, this is just sort of one thing to consider. On the other hand, there's the very real reality that because an autonomous future presupposes a shared future, and because there's this promise, or at least a premise, that autonomous cars, at least even level four cars, will be not parked, wasting time and and money and resources, both with respect to the vehicle itself, but also with respect to parking structure space. There's a very real uh, presumption, at least, that they will always be driving around passengers. And if that's true, well, then why are we going to need parking structures? Well, maybe it's the case that we're going to have parking structures that are going to evolve dynamically, meaning they will be modular. I don't know. You'll have parking structures that have, on say, say we build a parking structure today. It'll have, I don't know, 500 parking spots. But maybe in five years, or let's say more realistically, 10 years down the road, uh, it's going to need only 300 parking spots. Why? Because, well, less vehicles are parking because they're driving around, shuttling passengers around. Well, if that's the case, then that means we're going to need, indeed, a modular construction effort that's going to uh, enable us to replace parking spot allocation with, say, I don't know, yeah, modular office blocks. But if that's true, if you're effectively creating office space, well, now suddenly you're going to have to make sure these things are designed entirely differently so that you've got proper windows and lighting and ventilation so people can actually sit there and work. But then what happens to the charge points? Anyway, et cetera, et cetera. There's all sorts of ways you can think about this, right? And there's so many ways this is going to play out. And we haven't even yet got to the discussion about about uh, road pricing and congestion fees. Because again, if you've got all these uh, all these autonomous cars driving around, well, okay, as we've said before, they're you know if they're not full of passengers, then they are an inefficiency, not an efficiency. Um, so so as Jim McPherson, he's quite active on Twitter. Um, you know, he, he mentioned, uh, you know, <laughs> rather sarcastically, everyone's talking about how autonomous cars are going to reduce traffic. Well, could somebody please explain this to me? And he's right, because autonomous cars are not necessarily going to reduce traffic just by snapping our fingers and say suddenly there's a whole bunch of autonomous cars there. No, it's going to have to be done correctly. We're going to need autonomous cars deployed correctly, meaning we're going to need incentives to make sure that they are always full of passengers. What I'm trying to get at is there's a ton of unknowns, but the goal is actually quite certain. The optimal endpoint for autonomous future is actually, unless I'm missing something, which is possible, and please, I encourage you to to correct me on this, but the optimal endpoint, at least thinking from a parking structure point of view, if nothing else, because I think that's kind of a neat metric now that I think about it, the optimal endpoint will be to have no parking structures at all, right? Because If you've got parking structures, then it means you've got wasted resources in the form of cars just sitting there. It's wasted also from a uh, a real estate point of view. It's wasted from a vehicle point of view, resource management point of view. It's just a waste. Now, I suppose there are ways to think about this where it's not totally wasteful. I suppose if some you know, some of these cars have a surplus of electrical charge. Maybe they can be plugged into the parking structure and selling electricity back to the grid, to the city, I suppose. That's fine. 
but I still think that's suboptimal compared to the alternative, which is somehow we've maximized the utilitarian value of these vehicles where they never actually need to be parked. Or at the very least, there we have little tiny parking structures and that's it. You know, a good analogy for this, again, looking at aviation is, is what? It's going to be the fact that airplanes function the exact same way, right? As you probably know, airplanes never want to have planes sitting on the ground. It's a tremendous time suck and therefore money suck for, for planes to be sitting unutilized, whether it's for maintenance, whether it's during airport curfew time where they're just sitting on the ground for, say, six hours waiting for their first available takeoff time slot, whether it's to repaint the planes or to refit them with new interiors. Anytime that a plane is sitting on the ground, they are wasting, and I should say they are losing money. So, so I think this then offers a really good proxy, a good approximation really for, for what it's going to be like for cars. I mean, actually, strictly speaking, this is true now. It's just that once we get to level four and eventually level five cars, it'll be not only true, it's going to be necessary. It'll be true from the standpoint of saving money or indeed making money, but it'll be necessary from the point of view of ensuring that we've got uh, the most efficient use of resources, in this case, roads. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, so it must be the case that we maximize road usage. Um, so, so yeah, so that's just one of the uh, several of the many angles to think about all this, right? So, but let me loop it back to this article here. Um, uh, you know, wh- where things are always, you know, wh- where things are all headed. Um, so, you know, we talk about the the social impacts that autonomous cars will have on society, and I think. And by the way, this is one of the things, I think probably the main issue that we're going to discuss for season five premiere uh, with, with Felix and Martin when they, when they join me uh, in January is this notion of the social impact. What's it going to do? Is it going to have an equalizing effect on society socially? Or is it going to, is it going to magnify the, the, the income gap? Is it going to uh, really reinforce the concept of rich and poor? Is it going to make commuting worse? better jobs it's going to help help the job scenario is going to help what's it going to do there, there's so many questions we, we've touched on a lot of this in the past but there's there's much more to discuss still um you know one of the things we discussed more recently of course with jordan beale when he was on the show a few episodes back um of beale real estate down in san diego was this question that that autonomous cars could effectively kill the very concept of commuting and therefore have a positive benefit on the other hand because now suddenly the suburbs are no longer really viewed as an inconvenience since you can basically just sleep in your car. Well, now suddenly that's likely to drive up the cost of suburban housing, which had been until now less expensive. But now because you've removed the inefficiency element of living so far away, now it's going to drive prices up again, potentially anyway, right? So the net effect then could be that cities will get more sprawled out because people can live further away and commute from further away. On the flip side, it'll offer a massive productivity boost to everybody, right? Because they can work, sleep, or socialize while being autonomously shuttled to their destinations. Um, 
Anyway, and of course, then we're going to see all sorts of improvements to city design generally, right? So so we're going to have, as I've said before, hopefully more autonomous vehicle-only lanes to help facilitate the testing and deployment of level four cars. We're going eventually to have more efficient intersections because they're communicating with the cars directly. And ultimately, eventually, we're going to have basically, um, what shall we call them? Uh, uh, basically dynamic intersections which allow cars to fly through in perfect synchronicity rather like the bullets of a World War II airplane flying right through the propeller, right? So cars never have to stop at intersections. Um, you know, there's, there's just so many angles, so many ways to look at all this and it's just really exciting and it's really inspiring and frankly, it's very hopeful. The concern, of course, though, is, as I always say, and, and the whole reason for which we, uh, you know, that I decided to launch this, this, this strategy consulting firm with my partners and indeed our associates around the world is precisely because so much of this can go so wrong on so many levels. There's so many variables and there's so much incredible technology, but unfortunately you've got this massive gap as between technology on one side and, well, law and municipalities on the other. And if this doesn't all come together neatly to work um, in sync with one another, things are going to go wrong before they go right. And as we know, with all things involving legal issues, as soon as they start to go wrong, things get put on hold, sometimes catastrophically, indefinitely. And by the way, speaking of which, um, we just heard such a thing, didn't we? Uh, let's see. Um, the EU has effectively, effectively put the brakes on Tesla's autopilot. It's been really just severely limited to the point that it's effectively useless and you know i know there's a lot of people out there on the twitter ver in the twitterverse who have already said yeah this is the right move i strongly disagree i mean i really strongly disagree i mean suggest one time in the history of the world where technological innovation was held back just because it had some flaws you can't hold something back because it's not perfect Unless you're showing that it's doing more harm than good. And I haven't seen any data to suggest anywhere from any metric that autopilot, just to pick on Tesla specifically, because it is the, by far and away the most, um, you know, in, in more consumers' hand, by far and away more than any other product. Um, and in fact, I just read the other day that Tesla Model 3 is the number nine selling vehicle of any type in America now. So, so this idea that it's smart to disallow a thing because it might cause some harm some of the time, never mind the fact that the net effect is a, great, a greater benefit, a greater safety, that to me is just seriously short-sighted and silly to the point of being stupid. I think this is a huge, huge mistake. But, you know, on the other hand, it also serves to validate my claim that this is exactly the big disconnect we're talking about. You've got technology on, one on the one hand, you've got uh, municipalities and law on the other, and they're not yet meeting somewhere in the middle. There's a massive disconnect, and that gap needs to be bridged. But, but look, I think the big takeaway from all this needs to be that 2020 doesn't just sound cool. It isn't just the start of the 20s, but what it is is the start of... We, as a society, building the framework, building the foundations that are going to enable this vastly more efficient, safer future. And unless and until we can come together to realize the proper 
deployment of this foundation and where things are headed. And, and by the way, speaking of which, another important critical detail is this this need for standardizing things, as I've said in the past with respect to an FAVA, but also things like simulations, right? We need eventually to have a standard simulator, which can model all the things into which all the hardware and software manufacturers, which wish to test and deploy on real world streets, can input what they've designed, test them in the simulator, and then they can be tested and deployed on the real world. We need a standard system for that too. We don't even have that. And these are just some of the components, the frameworks that we need as we kick off 2020. So to kind of sum it all up then, I guess where I'm going with all this is we need to encourage, not hinder, the development and deployment of all the various technologies and the companies that are doing everything they can to make this reality come true. And we need to work towards the standardization and the set of laws in all countries that enable this to occur. And we need to keep an eye on the future and make sure we develop things with the momentum and the focus necessary to make it occur. Whether it's figuring out how to optimize parking structures, road pricing and congestion, dedicated bus lanes being used jointly by level four autonomous vehicles. Any one or more of those things and so much more besides must be the focus and that's where 2020 should see us going. Right. That's about all I've got for now and indeed for this week and this season and this year and this decade. That is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. I wish you all a very happy holidays, a wonderful new year ahead, wishing you all the best for 2020. I'll see you back here next year. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.